1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is continuing his exhortation to the church at Corinth concerning the greatest gifts, you might say. What is, what is priority and what our purpose is. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit he in the spirit speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and to comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edified. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine? And even things without life, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sound, how it shall but be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them was without signification. Therefore I know not the meaning of the voice. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so, ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is fruitful, unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, who, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with other men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report, that God is in you of a truth. 
So the title of the message this morning is God's Purpose in Gifts. God's Purpose in Gifts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word. And we thank you for this, the, the truth of thy word and, and that we can, as your desire, and we can understand. And if we will open our hearts to receive thy truth, you, give, you will give understanding. So help us, Father, to understand these things this morning by the Spirit of God, who teaches us, instructs us according to, to your written record. And so just be glorified and speak, and allow, we may allow you to have your will and, and, and purpose accomplished in our life this day. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody said this, quote, Christian experience follows the normal channels of human expression. We express ourselves as normal human beings through our thoughts, our emotions, our speech, and our deeds. The salvation of the gospel regenerates the process of these expressions. Then, as a normal spiritual development and growth take place, these expressions are both sanctified and amplified. You know, there were times when God heightened the use of man's faculties for a divine purpose. You know, in the infant stages of the church age, there was a bestowal of various gifts until the completion of the scriptures. Unquote. And so, again, among these gifts was the gift of tongues. But as we consider this chapter, it is most evident that the seeking of these gifts was not a priority even in Bible times. Let me say that again. The seeking of the gift of tongues was not a priority even in Bible times. Its purpose was not just to prove the presence of the Spirit, but the power to witness of Christ. That was the purpose of tongues. So this morning I have three main points and then some subpoints. We're going to look at priority of gifts, the purpose of the gifts, and the confused of misused, confusion of misused gifts. Priority of gifts. First of all, the priority gifts. You know, with all the excitement that the Corinthians had and the modern charismatic movement has for the gift of tongues, you know, the Bible does not tell us anywhere to seek it. It doesn't say to seek it. You know, even in Paul's day, when tongues were still in use, Paul said in verse 1, but rather prophesy. Rather, I'd rather you prophesy than speak in tongues. You know, in the list of gifts, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a list of gifts. And where is tongues? It's at the end of the list. Verse 28. God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, and after that, after that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, government, diversities. Of tongues. It's the last in the list. In the scriptures, in the whole Bible, it's only spoken about in two books the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, it's addressed only to correct a false view and their incorrect use of it. I believe it's the only reason it's even addressed in the book of 1 Corinthians. There was no need for it. You know, it is claimed today that it is evidence 
of course, by the Charismatics and Pentecostals, it's claimed that it, today that it's evidence of the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I've talked to Charismatics people. I had some friends that got caught up in that for a while, and, and that's what they say. It's, it's, it's evidence of the filling of the Spirit. And, of course, how can you say it is not of God when I have done it? And I say that's subjective. That's, that's just an experience. We don't have to base truth on your experience. But what does the Word of God say? And yet, verse 22 here in this chapter says this, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe. You see, all this tongues thing today is is about believers being filled with the Spirit and then speaking in an unknown tongue. And we'll we'll explain what that unknown tongue referring to here is. It's not a not... It's not something that's not known, but we'll get to that later. But see, they say it's the evidence of the filling of the Spirit, and it's always done in the churches. But Paul said it was for a sign not to them that believe, but them to believe not. And he's referring to the Jews. Some say that it's possession that it is the possession of all that are spiritually right. So if you are not, if you have never spoken in tongues, you are not spiritually mature. So, therefore, I'm still not spiritually mature, according to that. And none of you are either, because I don't think any of you ever speak in tongues that I know of. But, again, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 30. You know, as I began, was looking at all this, you know, these things just began to humor me, in, in a sense. It says, have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues. Paul's asking the question. He said, so is everybody going to have the gift of healing? The answer is no. Do all gifts speak with tongues? And again, the answer is no. Do all interpret? And again, the answer is no. So to say that, that it is an evidence that you are spiritually right is a bunch of baloney. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, he, he says there also, it says, To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues. So not everybody got the gift of tongues. Not everybody did. Not everybody got the working of, of, of miracles. You know, again, these are all apostolic gifts. None of them are in use today. And, 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 of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, if, if it's a mark of high spirituality, why does he say, And brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So what Paul was saying is, you know what, Corinthians, you are childish. It is not a sign of spiritual maturity. So in reality, you know, much of the hype and emotional high of all this is, is just a, a, a really a sign of spiritual immaturity or a lack of spirituality at all. And I think it's, that's what most of it is. You know, I know, I know several people who at one time were involved in tongue-speaking charismatic movement who now have forsaken that and gone to, forsaken the tongues thing altogether and turned away from that, or, and go to other kinds of churches, or have turned away from God altogether. You know, this emotional hype is dangerous. And it's not uncommon, particularly here in the South. 
was talking to one pastor friend of mine who is from the deep south. And he said, you know, even the independent Baptist churches in the south have their own culture. And a lot of it's a lot of hype. Though they may not speak with tongues, the sad reality is when the hype is gone, the winds die down, so many that seek that kind of thing are gone too. You know, the Bible is very plain about the legitimate use of the gift of tongues. One, one, uh, one commentator again said this, quote, Their use on the day of Pentecost was not an emotional orgy that brought shame on the church at Jerusalem. Unquote. No, that, the, the, the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost was a fulfillment of a promise that, God, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to disciples before he ascended back to heaven that they would receive power for the purpose of witnessing. Witnessing. In all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other post part of the earth. And you think about it, on the day of Pentecost, what, what Pentecost drew people, Jews, from all over the world to Jerusalem that day. Or that during that time period. And so and they and, and of course if you read Acts chapter one and, and verses nine through fifteen, it talks about all the languages are there. So so there were different languages, so God gave power or the ability to speak in languages that they had not learned. So every language could hear the gospel in their language. That's the purpose. That was the purpose for tongues. Not to say, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or I am filled with the Spirit because I spoke in tongues. You see that, was, and we see, so we see here the priority of the gifts. God doesn't say to seek it anywhere. Secondly, the purpose of the gift, and I've already kind of spoiled some of my thunder here. But as we think about the purpose of the gift in verses one through five, Paul goes on and says, "Follow after charity, desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy." For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him; howbeit he in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesied than he that speaketh with tongues, except ye interpret that the church may receive edifying. So again, the purpose of gifts, the gift here is, is, is you could sum it up in but the rather. He, he says you ought to desire spiritual gifts, but he said, I'd rather you desire this one, prophesy. Now, prophesy is proclaiming the word of God. Uh, it's witnessing for Christ. It's, you know, it, it, it is preaching the word. And, and, and it isn't referring here just to a preacher behind a pulpit in a church. What it's referring to is giving out the gospel. You know, it says of when Paul persecuted the church in Acts chapter 8, they went everywhere preaching the word. Now, he's not talking there about the apostles because the apostles stayed at Jerusalem. But the church was scattered because of the persecution and the church went everywhere. That was the people of the church. They went everywhere telling people about Christ. Prophesy. So he says, the purpose of the gifts is that we prophesy. 
If you notice, again, in verse 1, he says, I would rather, and that word rather means I would wish or prefer that you prophesy. In verse 5, he says, For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edification. And greater, the idea of greater means there is no comparison to prophesy. There's no comparison of witnessing for Christ. Tongues does not compare. And so, again, we see the power of the Holy Spirit was so that they could witness both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And God brought every one of those groups to Jerusalem at that time. And every one of those groups, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, heard the gospel at one place in Jerusalem on Pentecost. Because of the gift of tongues. Go back to chapter, Acts chapter 2 just for a moment. And we see this. Acts chapter 2 and verses 8 through 15 or 8 through 11 where he says, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes. You know where Medes are from? Persia. Medes are over by Iran, modern-day Iran. They're over in that area. And the Elamites and dwellers of Mesopotamia. Again, that's, that's, Iran, that's Iraq. Mesopotamia is, is Iraq. And in Judea. You see, the Jews have been scattered, and, and they're, they're still scattered some at this point. And, and so there were Jews in all these parts of the world that came to Jerusalem, uh, Mesopotamia, and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. You know, that could be Turkey, India. You know, we don't know where all they came from. It, doesn't, it just says Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia. Phrygia is up around what was in Turkey, Galatia, in that region. Pamphylia, Egypt. So there were some in Egypt still. Uh, and in parts of Libya. Libya is in Africa. And about Cyrene and strangers of Rome. This is Italy. So there were Jews. And it says Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. You see, how do you witness somebody if you can't speak their language? You know, we went to Taiwan. I could hand out tracts. You know, and some of them can speak a little English. But it's, it's, I couldn't, I couldn't, there's no way I could effectively give someone in Taiwan the gospel unless they, they were of the minority that speak good English. Even, even when I was, I preached one service there, and we were there, and uh, there was a young man there, and, and young lady, they, they understood English. They were, they were, they were you know, more uh, of the educated, and they, he was a college student, so he understood English very well. But even then, at one point, he stopped, and, he stopped me and asked me, what do you mean that? You see, unless you know the language, you cannot give somebody the gospel. It's almost impossible. But here what God did on this day of Pentecost, he enabled the disciples, the apostles, to speak in languages that they'd never learned. So these people from all over the world could understand the gospel in their own language. The whole world 
known world heard the gospel that day and took it back to their places. You know, some people think it took a long time to get the gospel to Britain. The gospel was in Britain by the end of the first century. Of course, Rome helped that with their roads. But, but we see here. See, in the gift of tongues, so was for this purpose so that they could hear the gospel. And, of course, it also was a sign to them that believe not. And what that sign is, is to confirm or to authenticate that the apostles' message is truly of God. If you notice in Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 through 20, uh, the Bible tells us this, Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20, the Bible talks about, and Jesus tells the disciples that, that they're going to have these apostolic gifts that would accredit or confirm that their message and what they were doing was truly of God. It says in Mark 16, 15, He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall, cast, shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall t- take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 22, tongues are for a sign. They were a sign to the Jews. Wake up, Israel. Wake up, Jews. This is, this is the end of the temple. This is where God's presence dwells now. And this is God's message. And it was like the Shekinah glory cloud came down in the form of a dove and abode upon them. It was evidence. This is of God. And the temple I'm through with. That's no longer a place of worship. That's no longer where you're going to hear the message of God. It's in my churches. It's in my churches. And so it was a sign that this is, this message is of God. You know, Pentecost did not give unrestrained emotional hysteria, which you see in the modern charismatic movement. No, it gave power. It was power to live Christ-like. It was power to witness. And a witness for Christ is more than just a mouthpiece. He is a living demonstration. He is a demonstration of Christ-like forgiveness, goodness, and love. Pentecost meant more than emotion. It meant a new devotion to a new order of life and a new world task. We have a purpose to take the gospel into all the world. Teaching them to observe all things. Establishing churches. That's our purpose. And it was the Spirit of God that gives power to fulfill that purpose. And tongues was simply one of the tools that God used in the early days of the church age before the completion of Scripture to heighten and to expand that purpose. 
So as we think about this purpose, I have several sub-points. First of all, the command of God is to, it's found in verse 1. He says, follow after charity. That's the command of God. Follow after, and we saw that in, first, in first thir- chapter 13. We're to follow after charity. The, the word follow here means to seek eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. And if you would link chapter 14, verse 1, with chapter 12, verse 31, it, before Paul got into addressing all these things, and he's talking about spiritual gifts and the body of Christ in chapter 12, and he ends that chapter by saying this, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. You know what that more excellent way is? Follow after charity. It's love. It's love which demonstrates itself in a life, in a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the principle of love is implanted, of course, in us by the new birth, by being born again. Because we know that 1 John 4, 7 says, love is of God. It is of God. But love, as a practice, is growth. You know, as we yield to the Spirit of God, He develops our gifts and our abilities, and they are sanctified, they are sharpened, and He enables us to be effective as a witness and in our witness both in life, practice, and speech. You know, it's not enough just to have the right words. We don't have a practice that goes along with it, that demonstrates it. And if you notice, he says there in, in verse... Uh, um, Verse 1, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you prophesy. That word desire means to be zealously affected. And, and you know, so God's, God's saying to us, we should desire that God would use our abilities, that we would be, we, we would be effectively used of the Lord. You know, all of us have abilities that are God-given. None of us are alike. We may have some may have similarities, but we all have abilities that God has given us, and God desires that we use those abilities effectively for the Lord. And so we are to be zealously affected. And so that's the command of God. We see the concern of God is again is prophesying in verses. And, and when we think about concern, we're talking about the thing that really interests the Lord is in, is is preaching or prophesying in verses two through six. He speaks of this, and, and 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise not prophesying. In other words, and the idea there is don't think lightly of it. Don't think it's not, not uh, it, well, it's, not, it's, it's really not all that important, you know. It's not all that valuable. No, he says it is. It is. And if you're going to prophesy, you have to speak in a language that's known. I want you to notice several things here. Now, if you speak in a language unknown to us, only God understands. Now, notice verses 2 and 3 again. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him, how be in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, we have Brother Bishop coming at the end of the month. He speaks Spanish and English. 
But if Brother Bishop came and preached to you in Spanish, how much of it would you understand? Dave's shaking his head. It's like, I'd be shaking my head, too. I'm you know, I might catch a word here and there, but I couldn't connect it in a sentence structure. I, you know, I'd be lost. Now, is that a known language? Yes, it is. Is it known to you? No. So to you, it's unknown. That's what the word unknown here means. And that's what the word unknown in this whole chapter means. See, a lot of people think, oh, there's an unknown language that's just between you and... That is a bunch of... That is a, bit, that is a lie. In fact, let's look at this. Look at, again, verse 2 says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Now, in other words, God understands... You know, God understands all languages. There's no language that's not known to God. There's just languages that's not known to us. Look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Uh, verse verse uh, uh, 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may... Uh-oh. I thought it was unknown that nobody understood. But what's that last word? Interpret. Oh, so somebody does know. Look at verse 14. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is fruitful. Verse 19, again... Yet in, all the, in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Verse 27, 28. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or to most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. And let him speak to himself and to God. Again, he could, you know, Brother Bishop could stand up here and, and preach in Spanish. God would understand him, but none of us would. Because his, that language is not known. It is unknown to us. But it's obvious these are known language because it said, if somebody speaks in an unknown tongue, interpret it. Interpret it. You know, in 2000, was it nine? 2007, I went to Ukraine, preached three times through an interpreter or an interrupter. No, interpreter. Um, you know, and so I would say a few, some, some words in English, and, and the interpreter would, would say it in Russian. Now, what I said to almost everyone in that group was unknown, but she made it known in their language. I had no clue if she was telling what I was saying or not, because what she said was unknown to me. You see, that's what this unknown language is. And, and, and so we are to speak, we have to speak in a known language, and if we speak in an unknown language, only God understands. You know, preaching is for the benefit of mankind. And, you know, he emphasizes that in verses 4 through 6. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And I would that you all spake with tongues. You know, it would be good if you all could speak other languages. However, I'd rather you prophesied. But see, people pride themselves, just like they do today, in speaking in tongues. That's not the purpose of tongues. Tongues is simply a known language uh, that, that somebody hasn't learned before. And, and we should desire spiritual gifts to communicate the gospel. 
In tongues were, and I again say that purposely, past tense, a gift in the infant stage of the churches for the expansion of the gospel into all the world. And he, Paul uses an illustration here of music. You know, in verses 7 through 9, he said, Even things without life, giving sound, whether harp or pipe or harp, except they give a distinction of the sound, how should we know what is piped or harp? You know, if I went to the piano and just did, you know, went across the piano like this, which is how I play piano, and I'd say, what song was that? And you'd be there, um, 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 I'm sorry, I don't know. It's because there'd be no certain sounds that would give distinction to what that song is. Now, if Mandy comes up and plays something, I'd probably say, you know, that's, that's uh, uh, it is well with my soul. Now, she didn't say any words, but I knew from the sounds. You see, preaching is like that. You know, we need to give, we need to speak in language that is understood, that people can understand. And so the preference here is, without question, speaking so as to be understood. In verses 13 to 19, he says five times he uses the word understandeth or understanding. Notice verse 13. Wherefore let him that speaketh an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? Well, I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say, Amen, at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? You know, like when I was in Ukraine, I could be sitting there, and, and while they were singing, they sang in Russian. You know, and they could have said, well, Amen. I never said Amen, because I didn't even know what they were singing. Because I didn't understand it. See, God wants us to understand. Understanding is emphasized as an attribute of worship and is preferred over emotion. You know, in, in true worship, there is emotion. But when emotion replaces intelligence and understanding, worship loses its significance. It loses its lasting and beneficial effects because emotions are short-lived and temporary. So for worship to have lasting benefit, there must be understanding. Not just what, but why. Not just what, but why. Otherwise, you know, worship would be turbulent, disorderly, and superficial. And one of the things I've noticed of charismatic churches, they never last. The one that one friends of mine were involved in, you know, that's it's gone. It's been gone for years. And then the confusion of misused gifts. Notice verses twenty through twenty-five. It says in verse twenty, brethren, and notice the first sentence here. Brethren, be not children in understanding. 
One commentator said, quote, the first sentence of this section is a challenge to spiritual sanity, unquote. Brethren, be not children in understanding. And so the challenge is to us as believers to grow up, to be men and women of faith who know and understand what we believe, not just the what, but why. And Paul said here, tongues are a sign for unbelievers not to be used in the church. Verse 22, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them which believe not, but for them which believe. See, to use them in the church... To use tongues in the church is going to be confusing to unbelievers. Again, if you if you have a if we have visitors come in, unsaved people come in, and Brother Bishop comes and speaks in Spanish, they say these people are really weird. They're strange. And I have talked to people who have visited charismatic churches and say, that's a strange place. They're unbelievers. They say that's a strange place. I couldn't wait to get out of there. It's weird. That's what Paul said. They'll say you are mad. Verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues. And this is what was going on in Corinth. You know, they, they were priding themselves in their, their ability to speak in different languages. And so they were all getting up and you know, saying something in this language and then saying something in this language and then saying something in this language and nobody interpreted it. And he said, hmm. It was the end of the verse. And unbelievers will not say that ye are mad. Verse 23. So to use them in the church was confusing to unbelievers. And of course, tongues are not even for today. So to carry on emotionally as the Corinthians did, Paul's saying is childish, and people will think you're crazy. It is religion without reason or logic. You know, salvation is based on reason and logic and understanding, not, not just an emotional feeling. Conversions, quote-unquote, that are based on emotion are never secure or enduring. You know, just throwing up your hands and giving God everything is an emotional experience without foundation of what salvation really is. And one commentator again said, quote, converts who know what they believe and why they believe it with reason and revelation as the basis for their faith have a solid experience, unquote. See, verse 25 says, verse 24 and 25, If all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned. In other words, he doesn't know of the gospel. He is convinced of all. He is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so following down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. See, he will have to conclude that this is logical and reason. You know, it's logical for people to understand that they are sinners. I mean, you can use reason. Do you have to teach children to sin? It is so obvious. And so men are naturally sinners, born that way. I remember Pastor Webb saying, and I think this was the first time he and I went to the Bible conference in Missouri, 
on the plane on the way back, he sat beside a young man who um, was quite intellectual, but he was just he just traveled around the country. He didn't stay in any place one place too long. But he would put down a job and then kind of vacation, put down a job, kind of vacation. Anyway, he began to talk to him, and he said, "Well, I don't, I don't really think you know that's true. You know, the gospel is true." And he said, "Well," he said he asked him. He said, "Do you do you think that there's things in your life that are destructive to you?" He thought on that a while, and he said, yeah. He said, what do you think that is? Sin. He didn't want to admit that he was a sinner. That's what, do you think there's things in your life which are destructive to you? You see, sin destroys us. It's destructive. And a person that will reason and use logic will come to that. Look at the world. Read the newspaper. It's like reading Romans chapter 1. So what is the basis of our salvation? The word of God or us? You know, the Bible says in first, or Isaiah 1.18, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In Acts chapter 17, verse 2, Paul at Athens says, as his manner was, he went in unto them and in three days reasoned with them out of the scriptures. And what he always reasoned was of their sin. He reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. There's a righteous God whom we're going to have to face. And Temperance has to do with our passions, which our passions, if a man is honest, will have to admit that they are destructive, self-destructive, sin in our life. And there's going to be a judgment day. You see, God, the Bible makes logical sense if we'll honestly examine it. And it has to be the basis for our salvation. It is the basis for gifts. And Paul said, forget tongues, follow charity. Christ-likeness. Seek to prophesy, to witness. Then the purpose of those gifts were to effectively witness. That is the purpose And the purpose that God gives us abilities is to effectively witness. Again, so what is the basis of your salvation? Is it it your experience or is it the word of God? Is the purpose of God being worked out in your life by the Holy Spirit? Or is it about you? Let's pray.